in and through Shawnee Hills Baptist Church for your honor and your glory. Lord, I ask you to help me because I cannot do this without you. I need you, Lord. We pray for the Awana Club across the street, the kids, the workers, the teachers. God, that you would just work through all of them. And Lord, we do pray that if anyone is unsaved, uh, whether it be in our sanctuary Bible study or whether it be in a Awana group, Lord, we just pray that today would be the day that they hear the gospel and believe. Lord, we love you. We ask you to bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 39, uh, it's eight verses, but there's a lot in these eight verses. And I, uh, I have, I'm excited about bringing this message because it's powerful. I got to run in cross-references and my studies, and, and it was just a wonderful thing. The title tonight is, The Word of the Lord Which You Have Spoken Is Good. The Word of the Lord Which You Have Spoken Is Good. In uh, chapter 39, verse 1, at that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Let me just tell you who this fellow is. This Merodach is the king of Babylon. He reigned from 721 B.C. to 710 B.C., but there was a series at that time of back and forth between the Assyrian uh, kingdom and the Babylonian kingdom of back and forth reigning and ruling and being the top dog. He recaptured his reign and reigned another nine months from 704 to 703 uh, B.C. Uh, he is central to this and it's important that we understand this backdrop. We could go deep, deep, deep into that, but I don't think it's necessary. What is this matter of sending letters and a present to Hezekiah? Well, he had heard that Hezekiah was sick and uh, that he had been healed and that there was something phenomenal that happened. Now, the sister passage to this, one of the sister passages to this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 31. In that passage, the Word of God reveals the reason, and the reason was the wonder that was done in the land. Now, Jewish rabbis, I found this interesting as I studied this, the Jewish rabbis claimed that he had gone to sleep as he was accustomed to. He would get up and he would eat an early breakfast uh, for the first three hours of the day, and then he would go back and sleep until about the ninth hour. While he was asleep was the time when God rolled back the sundial, the time, about nine hours. Ten, remember nine steps, about nine hours. When he woke up, the sun had gone back. He thought that he had actually slept all the way through the day, through the night, and up to the next morning. He was mad, and he was about to have his servants killed when they informed him of what happened. He was intrigued by this, and so therefore he sends a, an envoy over to Hezekiah to inquire about this miraculous phenomenon that happened and to take a gift to him. So here comes this envoy to King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is feeling great. I mean, how would you feel if you were on your deathbed and the prophet came from God and said, you're going to die. 
And then you turn your face and you cry out to the Lord and, and you, you ask Him to heal you. And God says, I'm going to give you 15 years. How would you feel? And you were healed. I mean, you felt good. Some people say that when God moved the time back, He gave Hezekiah that time back that he was worried and fretted. How would you feel? I think you'd be in a good mood, wouldn't you? I would be in a great mood. But here comes the interesting part. Verse 2. And Hezekiah was pleased with them, who's them, the envoy, and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in the house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. So here's Hezekiah. These guys bring him a gift. They are not Jews, they're Gentiles, they're for all intents and purposes enemies, but he thinks that they are finally recognizing him for who he is, and so what does he do? He shows off all his treasures. He shows off all of his armory, all of his armor, his soldiers and all that. Everything that's under his dominion, the Bible says, Hezekiah put on display for them. And this is what I find interesting. I find all this interesting. How in the world does Hezekiah get to the place where he shows the enemy all that he has? Something's messed up in Hezekiah. Why would he do this? Well, if you allow me to ask you to turn your Bibles, and I think Brother Bryce will have it up there, to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, it gives us a little greater detail and an answer to this question of why he would do that. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 24 and 25. In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up, therefore wrath was looming over him, over Judah and Jerusalem. Here's the thing. You and I have to be very careful, especially after God does something miraculous. He answers a big prayer. You have a big spiritual victory. You have to be careful. I have to be careful at that time because that's when the enemy, we are most vulnerable because we're feeling good. Hezekiah has just been healed. He's given 15 more years of his life. He feels invincible and his pride sets in. So what does he do? He brings his envoy in. He shows everything of his. He doesn't tell the envoy of how good God was. He doesn't tell the envoy of how God delivered him. He doesn't tell the envoy anything about God. He shows him all of his stuff. Isn't that the way the flesh works? To me, it seems that it is. And we have to be on guard when we have a big spiritual victory because the enemy is lurking to attack. And many times we open the door and show the enemy everything we have. We show them where we are vulnerable. We show the enemy right where they, he, it can get us. So we go back to Isaiah. We're in the middle of the story. We know now that he's shown off his stuff because he's got a proud, proud heart. 
He has a proud heart. Verse 3, Then, after he shown them everything, Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Isaiah goes right to King Hezekiah and questions the king. Now, in a monarchy, you know all <laughs> the king rules. The king doesn't have to answer this. But now the king knows something's up. And so what does he say? He tells the truth. What did these men say and where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Now, I don't know the tone, but I'm reading both passages, and the passage in 2 Kings also referring to this. I'm reading all these passages, I'm going back and forth, and I feel that Hezekiah feels the weight of what he's done. He feels it closing in. Look at verse number 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Now please hear me. Everything that Hezekiah had, all that was his, is going to be carried away. But nothing of the Lord's is going to be carried away. You think, well, that's, that's elementary. What, what, why would you say that? I'm telling you this because, listen, we have to remember where all of our blessings come from. I can see this in churches. I've had churches brag about their buildings and their, their buses and all the people and all this. No, that's theirs. That's God's. The Apostle Paul said, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hezekiah, God has been so gracious to you. You needed Him. You cried out to Him. He heard your prayers, he saw your tears, and he gave you 15 years, and now you're out boasting about all that you have. Pride is a dangerous thing. It creeps in and we don't even know we're prideful. Isaiah says, the Lord says, that everything in your house, all that your father's Plural, meaning your ancestors, all those giants of the faith, all that they have accumulated, will be carried to Babylon. Your enemy is going to enjoy your stuff. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? Verse 7, that's not all. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, 
and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. I don't know about you, but I can think of no greater insult for a man to know that his son is going to be emasculated and is going to have to serve the enemy's king. What a disgusting thought. Did this happen? Oh, of course it happened. Daniel chapter 1, you know of a few fellows. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure of the house of his God. All these treasures were taken to a little G-O-D. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might know them as Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God said it, it was going to happen. And in Daniel, we see that the fruition of that happens. And here they are in the king's palace. And we know their testimony is much better, perhaps, than Hezekiah's. But Isaiah says, listen, let's go back here. Because verse 8, verse 8 kind of, it bewildered me for a moment. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now that sounds like it's pretty self-absorbed. Well, well, okay, whatever God's going to do it, but at least in my days there will be peace and everything will be good. But when we read the sister passage, we find out that there's a reason why he says that. So if you would turn back with me just for a moment to 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 26. I finished the story from the Chronicles. His heart was lifted up and therefore the wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. We don't know how much time had taken place in between, but look at verse 26. Then Hezekiah humbled himself. Why? For the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. The Jewish rabbis teach that it was a matter of confession to the Lord. That he confessed to the Lord, and he humbled himself, and he turned from his prideful heart, and as a result, he was spared in his life 
and those living with him at the time in Jerusalem. You say, well, yeah, but still there were uh, consequences lasting. Yes, can I tell you that every time sin is welcomed in the life of the believer, there are lasting consequences? If we were to go down to verse 31 in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, I want you to see something that, uh, again, is amazing to me. 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 31, however, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, remember the ambassadors are the ones who came and brought the gift, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him, Hezekiah, in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So we go beyond this and we see God working at a greater pace. God knew what was in Hezekiah's heart, but Hezekiah didn't know he had that pride in his heart. So God, what does God do? God withdraws himself from Hezekiah. And this envoy comes and Hezekiah is left to his own, in, uh, his own uh, power, if you will, and he does what every prideful person does. He boasts of himself and of his things until he's confronted by the prophet. You see, Hezekiah could have given glory to God, but rather he showed the envoy, the envoy all that he had and all that he had done rather than God. The problem with pride in the heart, it soon forgets what God has done. Pride says, God, I don't need you. You say, does it really? Yes, it does. That's what happened to Lucifer. He wanted to be God. And he exalted himself above God. And he said, God, I don't need you. And he was expelled from heaven. And we know him as Satan. What changed Hezekiah? What caused him to confess and repent his pride? Was it not the word of the Lord? It was. When Hezekiah comes and says that and he repents, then he can stand and say, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Why? Because it was the word of the Lord that corrected me. It was the word of the Lord that got me back on track. Hence he says, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Now I'd like to say five things quickly and then we'll go home. Five quick applications here. Application number one, be on guard after a blessing. Most pastors will tell you after they've had a big Sunday and they've had spiritual victories, Monday they're under attack. You and I are very vulnerable after we receive a great blessing of God. Very vulnerable. There have been men who have filled pulpits, men who were good godly men, and God blessed them abundantly, and somehow, some way, in the pride of their heart, the ministry became about them and not about God, and they fell, and they fell hard. Because God has said He will not share His glory with another. Be on guard after a great victory or a spiritual blessing. Number two, be vigilant against taking away from God's glory. Be vigilant 
I saw uh, someone had written, my youngster's going to have to start, stop hanging around with older folks. Because now he's saying, when someone asks him how old he is, he says, I'll be six, good Lord willing. That'd be funny to hear a six-year-old say that, right, or a five-year-old. But here's the truth of the matter is, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And James even says that if you say this or say that, it's good that we should say, if the Lord will. We should be careful about uh, exalting ourselves when great spiritual victories happen in the church. We should know that all spiritual victories come from God. It is His victory. We just get to celebrate with Him. We get to be part of the celebration. It's a subtle thing, but it's a serious thing. I remember uh, my wife and I, we were at Cedarville University, and we, were, we had the privilege of seeing one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, preach. And he had said something, and people, the people applauded. And after he finished with his Scottish accent, he said, I, I, I ask you not to do that, and I'm serious when you do that. You do not know how incredibly uncomfortable it makes me feel when you do that. It was sincere. It was not reverse humility. It was very sincere. He was sincere about that. Be vigilant against taking away from God's glory. Church, we need to talk about God's glory more and more. Someone comes to be saved. I remember the first week of Awana, Mark Arms was leaving, and he rolled down his window as he drove by and said, Two saved, and took off and praised the Lord, you know. That's God. You say, you're splitting hairs. I'm not splitting hairs. I'm telling you, we must be vigilant guarding against God's glory. I don't want to be on the receiving end of the violation of God's glory. You don't either. Uh, number three, be sensitive to God's word. I know I say it all the time. Why do we read God's word? Why do we teach God's word? Why do we encourage you to read God's word? Why are we teaching the kids across the street to memorize scripture? We're doing it because God's word matters. <laughs> Hezekiah says, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. That's an understatement. Over in the next chapter, chapter 40 and verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Forever. Be sensitive to God's word. That's why we stand on Sunday mornings when we read God's word. Because we want to be sensitive to it. We want to put it in its rightful place. It is the word of God. That means something. That means something. I love Isaiah comes. Isaiah, I don't know. I might be wrong, but I don't presume anywhere in the Scripture where Isaiah ever speaks on his own behalf. He always comes and says, Thus says the word of the Lord. He always says that. Be sensitive to God's word. Number four, be eager to confess and repent of your sins. John R. Rice used to say, keep short accounts. Guys, sin is a serious thing. And none of us are perfect. Each of us, we are very capable of falling into sin. And immediately when we realize that we've crossed the line, we need to confess that sin and repent of that sin. 
Repentance is not just one thing, one time you get saved. Repentance is in the life of the believer. When God's Word shows us something, we, we line our lives up with that. That means that we turn away from our own thinking and our own living and follow God's way through His Word. Be eager to confess and repent of your sins. I think Hezekiah was. If you write, read the passages together, he was sensitive. And immediately when he was confronted, he humbled himself. He received the word of God, and he was eager to confess and repent of his sins. And then lastly, be careful. Even though you and I get forgiveness of our sins, there are still lasting consequences. This is, not, this is what we're not telling in churches. Forgiveness is available, but there are consequences of those sins. Consequences of sin that might not come out right now, that might come later down the road. The whole, the whole nation of Israel is going to come under Babylonian captivity because of the failure of the, this generation. And we see it. We see it. Uh, remember Achan? Joshua went out and he lost a battle he should have won. <coughs> we'll come to find out there was sin in the camp. So they lined him up by, by uh, clans and went through all that and found out that Achan had taken some of the spoil that he was forbidden not to. Achan sinned, but there were repercussions that affected the nation of Israel. Guys, when our nation publicly welcomes sin and we as believers don't speak against it, there are going to be repercussions. And we can say, well, you know, we, we, we don't want to be thought as being judgmental. That is a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of baloney. We as Christians, if as many people in America say, are Christians as that say they're Christians, if we would stand up and we would stop supporting, stop participating, stop allowing, we could see a change in our nation. But sadly, most people are afraid of the negative publicity. They won't speak out publicly against sin because they don't want someone to think bad about them. Or they don't want lawsuits. I can't even imagine being a school board member now. Every time someone hiccups, they want to sue somebody for something. And we've got a nation that does not understand that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We think, you know, just because other people don't know, God knows. God knows it. Hezekiah was all giddy after being healed. As would I be, and perhaps you would be also. But here's the thing. Listen to me. It's a short step. It's a short step from robbing God of his glory 
to becoming fully immersed in pride and being overtaken by pride. And I will tell you this, if we're not careful, we can succumb to it. And like the ocean waves, they'll just keep continuing to come. They'll just keep continuing to come and continuing to come. And I believe we have an advantage. You and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the written Word of God, the completed Word of God. We have all of the tools necessary to overcome this matter of pride. And let, uh, there are people that have not spoken to each other, family members have not spoken to each other in years because of pride. There are, there are couples who uh, live together in the same house, but they're not together. They can't stand each other because of pride. Had a, an acquaintance that had parents that didn't like each other, but they didn't believe in divorce. So they weren't divorced legally, but they were divorced in attitude and spirit, living in the same house, can't stand each other. It's terrible. Pride will affect every relationship. And the funny thing about pride is often the one who harbors pride doesn't even know he or she is proud. That's why I like the guys like Isaiah and guys like Nathan. David had become proud as a king. He could have anything he wanted. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. He took her. They conceived a child. It was all on David. She had an honorable husband. He brought him home. He thought he'll go in. He'll lie with her. Everything will be okay. We can cover this up. And God says, not so fast. David met a man that was more honorable than he was. And this man refused to do that. He refused to go in his house. He lie, He would lie in front of the door. He would not go into his house because his fellow countrymen were out there fighting. And that's where he should have been. That's where David should have been. And so David has to have a solution. So what does he do in his pride? I've got the army. I've got the commanders. I can take care of this. He goes and gets a commander. He said, I want you to move him to the forward. And when they advance, he'll be killed. They moved him to the forward of the army. When they advanced, he was killed. David married Bathsheba. He thought everything was well until that little bony finger of that prophet Nathan, Nathan put his finger in the face of David and said, Thou art the man. You're the man. Tells a story and David said, Well, you tell me who's done this and I'll have him executed. I'll take care of him. And Nathan says, You're the man. And David humbled himself and he repented. And he cried out to God and he confessed his sin and he repented. Psalm 51. It's easy, guys, when things are going well, to be wrapped up in pride. 
And when God does something good in your life, be careful. Don't take glory for it. Don't say, this is what I've done. Be humble. Be genuinely humble. You say, well, how do you be humble? Well, the Bible says, humble yourselves. It's something we do. And if you don't humble yourself, He will humble you. So I tell you, as Hezekiah says, and the older I get, and the more I study God's Word, the more in love with His Word I've become, and the more important I see its role in my life, I need it. Because I am prone and susceptible to sin. My flesh craves it. And people all the time tell me, Oh, just follow your heart. Do not do that. Isaiah's contemporary, Jeremiah writes, The heart is deceitfully wicked. I would never tell my daughters when they were thinking about dating boys or something to follow your heart. Absolutely not. I would tell them, follow the principles in this book. God has spoken on the matter. It is good. The word which you have spoken, the word of the Lord which you have spoken, is good. It is good. Be on guard after a blessing. Be vigilant against taking away from God's glory. Be sensitive to God's word. Be eager to confess and repent of your sins. And be careful because your sin has consequences. Just a moment. Shall we pray? And then I'll, I'll answer your question.